a Bombardier Q400 approaches Buffalo, New York on a winter's night. The speed reduces and the aircraft enters a stall, from which it never recovers. All on board die. What happened? And what can we learn about situational awareness and the insidious effects of fatigue? Come on board as we discuss the human factor. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in my series, The Human Factor, where we discuss aviation incidents and accidents, delving into what happened and seeing what we can take away from it, not just for aviation, but for other industries and into the rest of our lives as well. Today we look at Colgan Air Flight 3407, a scheduled flight which took place from Newark, New Jersey to Buffalo, New York on the 12th of February 2009. The first officer, 24-year-old Rebecca Shaw, was based in Newark, but lived on the other side of the States, in Seattle, with her parents and her husband. With a basic salary of $16,000, markedly less than she could get working for a fast food restaurant, but at the time, a rite of passage for many low-hours pilots. She had little choice but to regularly make the nearly 3,000-mile, five-hour flight time commute for her job with the airline. She had just over 2,000 hours flight time, including about 700 on the Q400, and discussions were had regarding her suitability for a command in the none-too-distant future. Captain Marvin Renslow, in his late 40s, commuted to Newark from Florida, about a three-hour flight time away. He had a reasonable amount of flying experience in the region of 3,300 hours, but barely over 100 hours on the Q400, an aircraft which can certainly bite back in some circumstances, although its stall characteristics are not particularly unusual. The flight approached Buffalo at night in wintry conditions after a fairly uneventful departure from Newark, New Jersey, and they were flying the ILS approach for the airport's runway 23. Due to the icy conditions, the crew had switched on the increased ref speeds switch with the de-icing equipment, as per SOPs, giving a visual indication of a higher minimum speed and also activating the stick shaker at a lower angle of attack. This whole system gives a more comfortable performance margin in the event of any ice accretion. So the stick shaker is a device which provides pilots with a tactile alert of an impending aerodynamic stall. The Q400 is also fitted with a stick pusher, which forces the flight control centrally forwards at the stall, although activation of this is not adjusted by use of the increased ref speed switch. The Q400 as a system has no autothrottle, instead requiring the thrust to be controlled by the pilots at all times. On the approach, the pilots had the autopilot engaged, but were of course responsible for the thrust. As they flew a level segment on the ILS, the crew configured the aircraft for landing, putting the flaps down and lowering the gear, as per standard operating procedures. This increased drag from the gear and the flaps decreased the speed of the aircraft, and a low-speed warning occurred, with the stick shaker being heard to have activated on the cockpit voice recorder. The sound of the autopilot disconnect horn can also be heard, increasing the workload of the pilots quite considerably. In order to recover from what was, at this point, an impending stall, the captain, as pilot flying, should have manually flown the aircraft, pushing the control column fully forwards and increasing the power. What actually occurred was that he continued to pull back, applying power as he did so. This is fundamentally completely the wrong stall recovery. 
Like most airliners, the Q400 has a pitch power couple, which results in fairly significant nose-up pitch when power is applied. His actions thereby increase the angle of attack of the wings and increase the aircraft's pitch, making the situation considerably worse. The Q400 was not in fact stalled when the stick shaker initially activated. The margin that it gave on the increased ref speeds acted as a warning. However, by his actions, Renslow put the aircraft into a full aerodynamic stall. The stick pusher activated as it should a device which should push the control column forwards by itself. But he overrode it, with a force of up to £160 at some point required to do so. The first officer then retracted the flaps without discussion. Now, they were at this point a high-lift device, so this only exacerbated the problem. The crew lost control of the aircraft, with it pitching violently up and down, as well as rolling steeply, in excess of 90 degrees. It crashed into a home about five miles from the runway, bursting into flames as it did so, and killing all on board, as well as one occupant in the house below. But what actually happened? The first officer and captain both had hugely disrupted sleep routines. While they may not have felt tired, though the cockpit voice recorder suggests that the first officer certainly did feel run down and unwell, Fatigue itself can be cumulative, and the effects don't necessarily manifest themselves as obvious as just being super tired. Fatigue is the state of mental and or physical exhaustion. It can be caused by a variety of factors, from physical illness, to reduced sleep periods, to medication, to shift patterns and disturbed sleep. The airline at this time did not provide its pilots with any fatigue information, a fact that would fortunately change in the wake of the crash for all airlines across the United States. But at the time of Colgan Air Flight 3407, its pilots were not educated on fatigue. More worryingly, perhaps, the company stated after the crash that they would not accept fatigue calls if a pilot had had a rest period of more than 12 hours or was coming back from days off. Now, this is patently not how fatigue works. Anyone is susceptible to its effects from factors that are not just directly related to working times and duties. So how much the company learnt about fatigue from the crash remains unknown. Fatigue is one of the most significant risks to aviation in 2021, purely because it is so insidious, and the impact of fatigue can be huge. Fatigue pilots do not have the cognitive capacity to correct their mistakes if they're even able to notice them. It slows everything down. And the level of apathy that comes from being fatigued means that they might notice a mistake, but will often not have the cognitive ability to change what they're doing. The morning of Colgan Air Flight 3407, both pilots used the company crew room to rest. Not exactly an environment conducive to good sleep with regular disruption and directly in contravention of company policy. Renslow had just completed a run of earlies, starting work at about 5am, and was staying overnight in the crew room. He logged onto the company computer system multiple times throughout the night, suggesting no real uninterrupted sleep period was ever achieved. Shaw had an opportunity to sleep in the crew room herself, though it's unknown how much sleep she actually achieved. She hadn't slept in an actual bed for quite some time, instead taking opportunities to sleep in the crew room and on commuting flights when she was a passenger. That she didn't have somewhere to stay nearby is perhaps no surprise, considering her salary level. 
Both pilots had had poor quality sleep in the previous 24 hours, so were suffering from fairly immediate transient fatigue, as well as likely some cumulative fatigue that had built up over days or even weeks. The incident served to highlight the low wages paid to new pilots in the industry, an issue especially prevalent in the States, which was at the time considered a bit of a rite of passage before they moved to larger carriers. However, fatigue certainly wasn't the only factor in this incident. The crew's situational awareness was called into question. Situational awareness is where pilots have a deep understanding of what's going on around them and the factors that contribute fundamentally to the aircraft's safety. On approach, Cogner Flight 3407's crew weren't really paying attention to the instruments or considering necessarily the effect that their movement of the controls, so the flap and the gear levers, what that would actually do to the aircraft, the impact that that would have, and perhaps what they needed to do as a result. And yet, on every approach, they'd have been aware of the fact that adding flap and taking the gear down would require them, in level flight at least, to increase the power to maintain the same airspeed. So their situational awareness of what was going on, as we say, is uh, at this point not great. They probably hadn't considered the fact that the increased ref speed would increase the activation of the stick shaker to give them fundamentally a decent margin between it activating and them being in a stall, but only if they recognised that. In the subsequent accident report, Colgan's training was considered to be pretty poor. And this was part of the reason that the crew had incorrect reactions to an event, although this was perhaps also in part due to startle. So the startle effect is the reaction to an unexpected event, and it's the time taken essentially for the body to process it. Uh, You may well know it as the fight, flight or freeze concept. So it's kind of known as limbic hijack, and it's where the brain literally cannot process what's going on and it needs that time to process it and react accordingly. Another aviation example would be United Airways Flight 1549, so the landing in the Hudson. And the FAA took some really considerable time to accept the fact that pilots cannot just react immediately to an unexpected event. In order to maintain safety when they went through the situation in the sim, they had to know that that bird strike was coming. And of course, the pilots of United Airways Flight 1549 couldn't possibly have known that. Indeed, anecdotal evidence indicates that immediate reactions to events, rather than accepting that the startle effect is a physiological human natural reaction, and giving that time for the body to be able to process what's going on, they're often incorrect. People often do the wrong things. Professional pilots pulling back in a stall has been documented many times, and it's most likely due to a startle effect. After all, as pilots, while we're trained to push the control column centrally forwards in the event of a stall, which generally, but not always, will push the nose of the aircraft towards the ground, our human natural survival instincts really don't want us to be flying towards the ground. They'd very much like us to be staying away. And we also know as pilots that if you want to avoid the ground, you pull back on the control columns. So in many ways, these two instincts, these two bits of training, are at loggerheads with each other. 
And if you react immediately, rather than processing what's going on, you could make that wrong decision. Now, in the wake of Colgan, better training in the simulator for non-normal and challenging events was established for operators across the US, uh, with many of them recognising that their training was heavily classroom-based and didn't give pilots the time to practice these non-normal events in the simulator. When it comes to recognising and responding correctly to an event, knowing the theory is of limited use, having had the chance to practice it and see it is much more beneficial. So in my opinion, perhaps the biggest factor to take away from Colgan Air Flight 3407 is the concept of a safety culture, a just culture, and empowerment of employees. So while the accident report informs us that the safety culture at the airline was reportedly good, it needs to be noted that the only people they asked were senior managers, so those themselves that were involved in setting the culture and setting the tone. As such, I'm not so sure that their opinion of the safety culture can necessarily considered to be reliable. Having a just culture, the concept of mistakes not necessarily being forgiven and forgotten, but genuine mistakes, genuine errors being not punished, being discussed, being understood, allowing us to learn from those is really important. A just culture doesn't allow people to get away with negligence. But it does mean that if people have made an honest mistake, they can turn around and say, look, do you know what? I got that wrong. And as humans, and especially as humans in a high risk, high pressure industry, where we are fighting our circadian rhythms to fly through the night and to do all these things that simply aren't natural for humans. Having that just culture is so important because people will make mistakes. We cannot at any point eliminate pilots making mistakes. It's just not possible. But we need to be able to learn. And sometimes those mistakes will be, okay, yeah, you just you just got it wrong. And sometimes they'll show up something more insidious, something more deep-rooted in the way those procedures work or in the way that aircraft is built. And that is how, as a safety-critical industry, we're able to learn. And this maps really nicely into other industries. Regardless of how high-risk an industry is, having a just culture, enabling people to feedback on things that work, things that don't work, and where they've gone wrong without fear of reprisals for things that are genuine mistakes is so important. Empowering your employees to be able to say, do you know what, I'm not fit for this duty. I'm not fit to give this speech, to fly this plane, to do whatever it happens to be will not only give them more value in terms of how they feel about their job, but it will improve productivity. It will improve, certainly in high-risk industries, it will improve safety because it enables them to say, do you know what, this is not the time for this. And perhaps there's a degree of that when we look at Colgan. It seems certainly that there's a degree of perhaps the crew not being aware of the effects of fatigue, but also not really being supported. And you can see that when it comes to the subsequent cultural changes or complete lack of cultural changes, that the airline was was very keen to almost blame the pilots. If you're fatigued, that's your fault. You've not planned your life enough. But that's not how the human body works. 
So empowerment of employees, of having that just culture can make such a difference to the overall culture of any company, of any industry. And it allows people to feel valued and to feel like they genuinely have control over their lives and their actions. So thanks for tuning in. If you haven't already, please do rate and subscribe to the show. And next week, we're going to look at uh, X-Ray Whiskey 666, which was a Royal Air Force Nimrod, which suffered a fire and ditched in the Moray Firth in Scotland back in 1995. I'll see you then.